Hey, Colleen. Hey, Michelle. So uh, I have been reading, as I am wont to do. You read uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> right? <laughs> and there is a book that I just finished recently that has really stuck in my brain. Might even be the best book I've read this year, which wow. kind of says something. Yeah, that it's re- it's really just it's really sitting in my brain in a good way. And I want to talk about it a little bit. So it's called The Culture Map. Have you heard of this book? I have not. Okay. So people have suggested this book to me. Uh, like a bunch of people suggested it. And I finally ordered it recently. And then I started reading it. And like 20 pages in, I went to Matthias and I was like, you have to read this book. And then he started reading it too. Um, oh, wow. Okay. And so basically it's it's written by this... I guess you could call her like an international collaboration consultant. So she goes into like big companies that have employees all over the world and helps them work better together. Or like, for example, when uh, like she lives, she's an American living in France. And so like if a French company like L'Oreal, let's say, is sending 20 French people over to work in the Tokyo office, like they meet with her and she brings in local culture experts to prepare them for the move. Um, okay. And so this book is based on her extensive research on how different cultures work, like, like in a business perspective. And it's really fascinating. Like, and, and it's very, I think, very well researched, which I feel like is kind of the little bit of a f- concern I have about talking about books about different country cultures is that they're basically just based on generalizations or anecdotes. Um, okay. But she actually did extensive surveying and interviewing leading up to um this book and and so it basically puts you know several dozen countries um on a scale for eight different measures um and this is things Mm. like feedback or um how they make decisions like are they consensus driven versus uh you know hierarchy driven how they think about time you know is it fixed linear time versus it is a more flexible sense of time um and basically as a kind of you, you know, everything is, you know, every country is sort of a center point on their bell curve. So there is variation within a country. Um, and so it's more so to see like the relative places of different countries on these things. So that if you're, for example, working with somebody in a different country and you're having kind of a conflict with them, you can be like, oh, wait a minute. Is this is actually kind of like a cultural thing? Like were we like, does this actually relate to how we were trained in school to say, think about how to present a problem or how to uh make a persuasive argument and is that why we're having this clash right now and so this book is really really fascinating me because it explains a lot of things that i have seen um and is also giving me new things to think about and everybody should read it but i feel like i should start with an example right because you're probably you're looking at me right now like where is she going with this the one i'm going to talk about first is principles first versus applications first cultures. Okay. And this is a scale. So from so if you just picture like a straight line from principles first to applications first. And in a principles first culture, people in school and also how they are taught to make arguments is you start with the underlying principles behind something before you move to specific examples of something. Okay. In an applications first culture, you would start with the examples first and then you weave in the theory as you go. So you learn the theory through the process of the examples. 
Okay. The U.S. is an applications first culture, which is exactly why you're looking at me right now saying, yes. what is the point here? And what, how does how do I actually I know. use this? Right. <laughs> that is exactly the point. And I'm, I'm reading this <laughs> oh and I'm gosh, like, love oh, my God, my book is a practical guide to interviewing customers. And I was like, you don't like if you want the theory, you can go find it. Here's some books that give it to you. That's fine. But like, let's just skip to the practical things. Right. Yes. Very, very. I yes. was like, oh, my God. Meanwhile, other cultures like talks about like France and um, actually like Germany, Northern Europe are very much like this, that you start with the principles first. Okay. So, like, if you're learning a language, you would learn all of the grammar first, even if you're not going to use it and you have no idea how it applies. You learn the entire system and the structure mm. first, and then you do the specific examples. But it also talks about how, like, th this impacts how people make arguments and how they or they just have present ideas, right? And I was I was reading and I was like, oh my gosh, this actually explains some feedback I got on my book from people in like Russia and France and other countries that like. They didn't see like the the overarching theory behind it first, and it, they were having trouble getting into it. And it's so funny because it actually relates to uh, something that Matthias and I talk about very often, just like in our life together, which is that he will start talking about something, and I he will get you know the equivalent of like five or six sentences into it, and then he will actually mention what his point was from it <laughs> and I'm like you're bearing the lead here like hold on a minute right. like what like this is what you were saying this entire time like and and like we actually I mean it was kind of a kind of an argument a couple of months ago where I was like I mean I was like super stressed out like you know I have language school going on like everything and maybe not in my best most listening spouse mode with all the stress going on and I kept missing things that he was saying. And I was like, I really need you to, like, give me the subject line first when you talk to me because it's not clear what you're telling me is important until much later. But then I have been spending all of this time listening to you, trying to figure out what the point was. And then I lose track of what you're saying because I'm trying to figure out what the point is and I can't follow it. And so this basically says like, OK, wait, like and I kind of preempt him now. And I'm like, hold on, you're bearing the lead. Like, what, like what is going on? Oh, OK. A meteor hit the earth. Wow. OK. Thank you for telling me that two paragraphs in. And we're reading this. And I was like, oh, my God, this is exactly why. Because like as you know, Americans in school, you're taught this is my point. Here are my three right. examples for why I have this yes. point. Here is my conclusion for my point. You tell them what you're going to tell them. You tell them. Then you, you tell, tell them, them what you told them. What you told Versus them. Versus other countries actually that. start out yep. with, here's the overarching principle behind this. So Here are three ways you might see this pop up. Here's a specific example. Here's the point. Wow. Like, it's all the way at the end. And I was like, that's fascinating. Oh, oh my God. It was it was really a moment. And then and but it's, it's so funny the way she talks about it in the book, because, you know, talks about, you know, somebody like I think they went to work in the UK and they they prepared what they thought was I think it was a German person. They prepared what they thought was a very convincing presentation where they're talking through this 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 overarching theory that that, um, you know, unites everything they're talking about and um, all of these, you know, th places people might see this theory and how it how it applies. And then at the very end, and they got this very, this feedback from their British uh, manager that was like, to the effect of, which not, they wouldn't say it this way, is that basically everybody fell asleep before you actually got to the point. <laughs> um, which is really funny. But another thing I've been really thinking about this on is feedback and how people give feedback. 
Um, and so related to what I was just saying um, is certain countries give negative feedback in different ways. This also depends on whether it's a hierarchical culture or not. Um, and also how open they are to giving positive feedback too really differs. And and this is the thing that's, I think, sticking in my head the most, given that I spend so much time thinking about feedback and wrote a book on people getting feedback. And, mm-hmm. you know, when I wrote the book, I, you know, I, I spent a certain amount of time trying to make it internationally applicable. So, you know, I talked to people from all over the world. The majority of the people I talked to were uh, not Americans or even British. And I, I like I tried to include that. And there's, you know, examples of how you might use more deferential language in, in, in Japan or, or um, Germany, for example. But different cultures give feedback in different ways. So uh, um, Americans, for example, we are known for uh, what I what we might call the stuff sandwich, the feedback sandwich, where we say something positive and then we say something negative and then we say something positive or we will say you know two or three positive things first even though there really aren't any positive things to be said we will find something oh we are so good at finding something positive to say and then we will say the negative thing at the end and we will say it much more directly maybe not very directly but more directly than say a british person might who who might frame you know they they might say you know, oh, this section here is very interesting when what they actually mean is is a complete disaster and you need to rethink it entirely, mm. right? We would okay. be like, I might spend a little bit more time on this part of your PowerPoint, right? Like it would be it would be guarded. But on the other hand, it's talking about how like people in the Netherlands, for example, and she talks about in one of her sessions, there was a man who gave some very, what we would call harsh and direct feedback to one of his coworkers in the middle of a meeting they were having with other people there, which Hmm. in the U.S. you cannot give negative feedback publicly versus this was actually seen as something that uh, a sign of respect doing it that way. Right. And so it also explains why, oh, like people say Americans are fake because we're not giving like direct what we would call harsh feedback. Right. Or we give too much positive feedback and other people don't think it's warranted. And they might, I think it says like, you know, French people, for example, would start with the negative feedback first. Hmm. Um, Interesting. And be more reticent to give positive feedback, which I, I've been thinking so much about this. It also really makes me think about the merits of kind of doing a process-based interviewing because we're not saying, hello, person, is my product good or bad? Do you like it? Like that is the, when you learn how to interview or talk to a customer, that the first thing you learn is don't ask that question. You're not going to get anything yeah. useful back, right? You're just going to get social performance back. Um, right. And But if you ask someone about their process and throughout the process of that, you learn that the problem you're solving is not a problem that they experience or it's not a significant one. It's not one they spend a lot of time or money on. Like that can come through without them falling into these social routines, basically this like social programming that we have. But it's also a really interesting thing about like hierarchy too. You know, so some cultures are very egalitarian. So for example, Denmark is very egalitarian where, you know, the fact that the prime minister or, uh, you know, would bicycle to work or, you know, you could just see them in the coffee shop or like even like the royals, you see them like jogging down the street. Like you have royals. Royal yeah, people? we got I didn't royals. Know that. 
<laughs> no. Um, yeah, they. Wait. Okay. There's a royal family in Denmark. Um, I have I to study that. all of them. Uh, it's part of my right Danish Culture thing. stuff I have to do. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, we have a royal family. Anyway, very egalitarian, even though the fact that we have a royal family. Um, and then there's very hierarchical cultures, like I think, you know, names like India and Japan, for example, being very hierarchical. And that also impacts the kind of feedback you would give someone, mm. both with how honest you might be and also how you might treat them. Um, so, for example, you know, there's an example of a, you know, a Russian person like calling up someone in another department who they perceive as below them and like berating them in order to do something. Mm. And then she asks them why, and she's like, well, during Soviet times, like, all strangers were dangerous. You didn't know if they were going to report you to the government or not, so you were just harsh with them, like, because you didn't know. Huh. And I was like, oh, okay, you know. Um, or it being, like, publicly acceptable to call out um, someone who is inferior, for example, in public, but you would never, ever give any sort of feedback to your boss, even if they ask you for feedback. So, like, there's an example of a Danish manager who goes to Japan and tries to brainstorm with his team and they literally won't tell him anything because anything. they are so afraid of sharing an opinion that he does not agree with. Interesting. Yeah. And so I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. This is really, really interesting stuff for like, how do we, first of all, as like product people, how do we get feedback on what we're building? Right. But also then all these things about, um, you know, applications versus principles first, like that probably impacts how we do onboarding, Right. Like, that impacts whether someone thinks the idea you're explaining to them is convoluted or not, right? Because I might look at the exact same argument and say, okay, the fact that this, the point, you don't get to it till, like, the fifth sentence, like, I, I didn't know if I should be paying attention until the very end, so I wasn't paying attention. That's very convoluted. But somebody else might look at that, oh, that was a very convincing argument because you laid out all of the underlying principles first, and then you got to the point, right? And so I think this also impacts how we build products and even I mean I'm like I'm glad I didn't read this before I wrote my book in a way because I would have like like if I had read this book in May of 2021 when I was in my intense editing days of my book I would have like completely redone it and I was already redone doing it. a complete like you know like I was already doing a complete structural edit every week um wow yeah it's like it's really really fascinating stuff uh, for both of you live internationally, whether, you know, your, your spouse is international like me, or you live in another country, or you're simply selling to people who live in different countries, which, uh, most of us are, it's really, really fascinating. It's just, it's really just kind of burrowed a hole in a good way, uh, in my brain. And I can't stop thinking about it. Interesting. Does the book offer, or are you now coming up with, like, do you actively, let me ask in a different way. Have you actively changed your behavior because of the book? I think the the one thing I'm really thinking a lot more about is the whole thing about applications first versus examples first. And yes. I don't know if I'm going to be able to change my behavior on that. Um, right. But it might explain certain challenges that I've had. Now, I think there's it's worth caveating that like the book is it was about business culture, which can be very okay. different than than personal life culture. Um, okay. For example, something I have struggled with here is that even though the book says that feedback is very direct and like Denmark is specifically named as being very direct, politeness here is very different. And there is the fact that everyone is is equal, but the way you the way you structure a sentence to be polite 
if you translated it literally to English, it would be overly deferential. And so that egalitarianness means you basically treat everyone as better than you in your hmm. language. Like it's very, it's like very hypothetical and like, you know, like for example, like if I want to text one of the uh, other parents at the school, I can't like, I can't just text them and say like, hey, like let's schedule a play date for our daughters next week. Like I cannot text that. It has to be something to the effect of, hey, like, how was your weekend? I was thinking that maybe it might be nice if you're around, if our daughters got together for a play date next week. What do you think about that? Like, and it, it's so like, it's like every text message I send, I have to check with my husband because um, I'm like, did I throw in enough maybes in this? Like, is this hypothetical enough? Like versus in English, like you just put it in subjunctive, right? You should say like, right, right. instead of saying, you say know, what you say. will you get that for me? Would you get that for me? Right. You just turn it into a would, a could or should. Right. And then it's yeah, basically almost effectively polite. And in Danish, you have to throw in tons of maybes. And so I'm like, OK, mm. so maybe business culture is more direct, but personal life culture is much more indirect. Um, Interesting. And so, and so, the book is only on business culture, and I, of course, I have not okay. worked in, in in a workplace here. Um, right. So I think that's something I'm just. Re- it's, it's just really it's giving me kind of a framework to think about these things in a way mm-hmm. that I didn't have previously. Um, I'm more so at the stage right now where I'm thinking about things like, for example, you know, the Dutch directness. Of course, you know, every country has its differences. Every region within a country has its differences. Every person within a country has their differences, right? And so there's only so many things that are applicable to every single person. But, you know, sort of when you go sort of all in all, like, you know, the way I would structure an argument is much more similar to the way you would structure an argument than it might be somebody in Germany, right? And there will be some differences there. But something that has me thinking about is, you know, so Dutch people are known for their uh, directness. And they're very proud of this, too, whenever I've talked to them about it as well. And people from the Northeast, where I'm from, are also known for our directness, which you see in Dr. Deborah Tannen's work, A Linguist, and also just, you know, the fact that basically everybody else thinks people from the Northeast are kind of rude and abrasive. And I'm like, is this why that, like, most of the friends I made this summer at conferences were, like, Dutch or Flemish? Like, Hmm. is it because we share this directness that we Hmm. found it very easy to relate to one another? interesting yeah right yeah and it doesn't mean that you you know you can't be friends with other people from from other places right like I have friends from all over but it was like is this why I was attracted like is this is this why it was so easy for me to strike up conversations with them and like kind of sit down and get to know them because we're both very direct Um, yeah because you had that in common yeah yeah and it also can be directness in like in like different ways too um you know, like, you know, one thing was saying that, like, you know, British indirectness is actually different than American indirectness. Tell me. I'm curious about this oh, one I mean, there's a whole, like, I mean, there's a whole chart in here. I mean, you've probably seen these floating around on Twitter of, like, you know, no, what, babe, what the British not. say and what they actually mean. <laughs> um, actually, I haven't. That's okay. This is something that, you know, floats around on Twitter. And usually <laughs> I see it because British people I follow are sharing it going oh this is so true it's funny it's basically like is- it's basically like in mean girls when she compliments yeah. that girl's skirt and she's like oh my god i love your skirt and then like a second later she like the girl walks away and she's like that is the ugliest skirt i've ever seen mm. like a little yes. bit like that right like they will never actually tell you if they don't like something ah right okay. like it. like yes you know they might say oh this is a very interesting idea which actually means this is a terrible idea it's a terrible idea yeah got it yeah 
Um, I mean, it's all these things on sort of like using minimizing words like, you know, like, oh, well, this was a little bit of a, a disaster means it was a complete disaster. Right. So Americans would use a, a word that that encom- encompasses it in its whole. Right. So a complete disaster versus yeah. the British might say it was a little bit of a disaster, which means it was a complete disaster. OK, I see. Interesting. Um, and so, yeah, it's just it's really, really gotten into my head and, and thinking about how we get feedback and and how we build products and even just, you know, how we give customer service to people in different countries. Like in right. the U.S., we have the idea that the customer is always right. But by contrast, right. in northern Europe, I mean, you know, I've sort of joked that sometimes just trying to buy something from somebody is like converting to Judaism. Like you have to knock on their door three times until you finally convince them that you should be <laughs> able to buy something um, <laughs> like and, like that you should be able to give them money. Um, I mean, it's just it's. And then, the you know, you do not get service with a smile, right? And so that effectively yeah. in the U.S., the customer is kind of, if there's a, if you're thinking about a hierarchy, the customer is kind of above the person providing the product or the service, even just ever so slightly, which impacts how when I, you know, do an interview, I treat the other person differentially. Yeah. And this is something I haven't been able to figure out is, you know, the, the sort of like intersectionality of, okay, hierarchy and feedback, for example. Are there cultures where people... Like you should actually be treated like an equal or should they even like, should you, should you treat yourself basically as superior in, in how you talk to someone when you're trying to get feedback from them? Like, does that give you more honest feedback, which is kind of confounding to me, but that's confounding to me because I come from a culture where the customer is always right, right? Like we elevate right. the customer above ourselves. Right. Um, and yeah. so it just has me kind of just rethinking a lot of things. And Interesting. Dig- yeah, or not rethinking, but maybe so just kind of thinking about them in a different way and just thinking about, you know, assumptions I make about onboarding or, right, you know, the idea that people want to get to it as fast as possible. Well, what if they actually, right. you know, what if they, you know, we like we've seen all the time that like our docs are the are our biggest landing page, and I think you've seen this too for simple file upload. And, uh, you know, I asked Adam Wathen about this a while ago. The same is true for Tailwind. Like, what if people want to see the principles first, right? Right. Like, or when they go to the docs, like, are the Americans looking at the examples on the side while the French people are looking at the structure of the, stru- the yeah, API the and the principles, right? Like, yeah, how does this, super and like, how would they expect to be treated in a product experience? I mean, and, yeah, you know, unless you're a massive company, you know, building products all over the world, like, can't, you know, I can't design one product experience for each country right like that's I mean as a small company that's not something we can do but you know if if I were a huge company like Google or Stripe like this would be something I would very much be thinking about is okay maybe the reason why a product we sold in a new market the reason why it wasn't resonating is because you know how we told the story was wrong right like we talked about the book story brand but is that an American-centric version of of telling a story how might other countries tell a story and is that even an individualistic view of a story right like which is also another american thing right we prioritize the individual over the group uh you know talking about how like scandinavian countries for example um but as well as i think it talks about japan as well like we'll we'll prioritize group decision making Hmm. um interesting yeah so it's just really 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 interesting stuff that I'm so glad I sprang for a 
print edition and you know got it shipped to me from germany because it was thousand percent worth it like i know i'm gonna be rereading this book a lot in the future and i mean quite frankly it it, it belongs on everybody's bookshelf right next to you know story brand and and <laughs> you know uh demand side sales i should i would say it should be on there we'll do, we'll do a whole episode someday on michelle's we should do a business bookshelf michelle's books the books that make the uh the priority shelfers i have like i have like rankings of like shelves like if there's like i have like special shelves <laughs> yeah no the culture map it's really really good the culture map yeah it sounds great it sounds like it was is really useful and interesting seems like you're kind of just like sort of absorbing and yeah, so I have a somewhat tangentially related story, which is not really related, but whatever. <laughs> so when I lived in Chicago, I worked for a division of Motorola. And this is back in the day when Motorola was like the it company. It's before the iPhone, guys. So sorry. Actually, my myself. dad worked for Motorola in the 90s. Did he? Okay, it wasn't the 90s. Jeez. Oh, okay, yeah. Sorry, you're not that old. <laughs> it was like... Yeah. anyway actually i think the iphone had come out but the razor was still cool it doesn't matter anyway i worked for the automotive division motorola had an automotive division and it was purchased while i worked there by continental automotive which is a german company and so i you know and i'm 24 years old or whatever so i did have a little bit of it it was a little bit like having never worked for an international company before um i did have some like kind of interesting experiences switching from an American company to a German company. But I have this like really distinct memory. I have this bad habit where I crack my knuckles. I feel like a lot of people in America crack their knuckles. It's like not a problem. I go to Germany. I go to Berlin and I'm there on site for a week and we're in this conference room and I just like cracked my knuckles. Literally everyone in the conference room like stopped and was like, (gasps) like it was this terrible thing. Anyway, that's my story about working for a German company. <laughs> I freaked him out when I cracked my knuckles. And I was like, holy cow. So, yeah, culture's important. So don't freak <laughs> out your new coworkers with knuckle cracking if you're an American. That's my that's my contribution. But did you notice differences in, like, how, uh, you know, like, management made decisions or communicated roadmaps or priorities when it switched from being American to German? So we were still, I mean, our product manager and our direct manager, I mean, I was at the bottom of the food chain, right? They were still American. So I didn't, I wasn't really exposed to that level of decision-making, but I'm sure it was there, right? I'm sure the upper, you know, the upper echelon dealt with that. Yeah. I mean, because another thing this this talks about specifically with reference to Americans and Germans is whether something is a, like, like how groups make decisions and how basically when american companies make decisions it's usually there's like built-in flexibility there like we'll schedule Mm -hmm. a meeting to come to a decision but that decision might actually continue to change throughout time but it's kind of like a snapshot in time of the decision and then we continue to learn things and then the decision changes and the germans apparently find this endlessly frustrating because they're like wait a minute like we just like we just made a decision and now we're changing the decision like what <laughs> it's against the rules versus like do it. like and then they and they're like but also everybody wasn't consulted before we had this meeting on the decision like versus they would spend you know three times the amount of time getting feedback from everyone building plans circulating for feedback and then when they actually get to the point of making the decision it is a decision like it is mm-hmm. done it is done. final it is a court ruling like it is not changing um yeah. and how this can be you know, very, very like frustrating for people. Yeah, it's 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 really. I, I think it's also interesting seeing like the differences a lot between, um, 
you know, sort of Scandinavia versus versus other, you know, Western European countries versus like Southern Europe, like like the Latin influenced countries is really, really fascinating. And um, it, it, yeah. it helps them explain some things that I have experienced and, and probably other people have experienced as well. Well, this has been a good book club. Next time we're going to have a book club. I'm going <laughs> to um, tell you what the book is so you can read it. <laughs> Uh, or you Thanks. cannot, or you cannot read it, and then you can relate it to your own personal life, which is just what book clubs are: um, is <laughs> people who have read are. the back and then talking about their lives. Um, <laughs> I will talk to you again soon. I will talk to you later. Huge thanks to all of our listeners who've become software socialites and support our show: Chris from Chipper CI the daringly handsome Kevin Griffin, and Mike from Gently Used Domains, who has a nice personality, Dave from Recut, Max of Online or Not, Stefan from Talk to Stefan, Brendan Andrade of Brightbits, Team Tuple, Alex Hillman from The Tiny MBA, Rami from Hovercode and Rocket Gems, Jane and Benedict from UserList, Kendall Morgan, Ruben Gomez of Signwell, Corey Haynes of Swipewell, Mike Wade of Crowd Sentry. Nate Ritter of Roomsteals, Anna Mast of SubscribeSense, Jeff Roberts from Outsetta, Justin Jackson, MegaMaker, Jack Ellis and Paul Jarvis from Fathom Analytics, Matthew from Appointment Reminder, Andrew Culver at Bullet Train, John Coster, Alex of Corso Systems, Richard from Stunning, Josh the Annoyingly Pragmatic Founder, Ben from ConsentKit, John from Credo and Editor Ninja, Cam Sloan, Michael Copper of Nusi Proposals, Chris from URL Box, Callie of Toslet, Greg Park from Trait Lab, Adam from Rails Autoscale, Lana and Alex from Recapsi, Joe Mazzalotti of RailsDevs.com, Proud Mama from Applenet LLC, Anna from Cradle, Monsef from Ruby on Mac, Steve of Be Inclusive, Simon Bennett of Snapshooter Backups, Josh Smith of Keyhero.io, Jesper Christensen of Form Backend, Matthew of WorkCited, Chris of JetBoost.io, Daryl Shannon of Docomatic, Larabelles, a community for Larabelle developers underrepresented due to their gender. Brendan from Feederloop. Pascal from Sharpen.page. Lynn Romick from Convini. Arvid Call, James Sowers from Castaway.fm. Jessica Malnick. Damian Moore of Audio Audit Podcast Checker. Eldon from Nodal Studios. Mitchell Davis from RecruitKit.